Hi, I'm Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. We now have part two of my conversation with licensed clinical social worker, Alice Cooper. Ms. Cooper begins by describing how caregivers should accept help from others. And I throw out scenarios that many of us caregivers face on a daily basis. Ms. Cooper gives us solutions to help us navigate. A person who surrounding themselves and getting support. People who are caregivers who are humble enough to say, you know what, this is not a journey that I can take on my own. I am going to pull people along to help me in whatever way. Someone who will expand their support network and not just be the martyr. I must admit that I have a problem with that. Not what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I've got to learn to get help. Yes. My friends are constantly telling me, Denise, you Mm -hmm. need to And I'm like, no, I've got it. No, I've got it. Mm -hmm. But I don't have it. And I need help because it's what Dr. Monica and I say all the time. It takes Mm -hmm. a village. It does. It does take a village. And, And it's having, it's recognizing, you know, the, what I get a lot from, from caregivers, especially ones who do not reach out, you know, that's like, well, it's my responsibility or I don't want to burden anybody else. And, you know, I don't want them thinking that this is all I ask for. Or what I say is if people offer you help, take it. And because if they didn't want to do it, then they won't do it. Right. But don't take the right away from them in terms of helping you. I was we feel good when we help other people, yet we don't want to give other people that that gift to feel good in terms of serving someone else. Wow. That's a that's a wonderful way to put it. Yeah. So if someone wants to help you, let them help you. Let them help you. Let them help you. And if again, everybody has the right to say no. They can say no. If they choose to be a people pleaser and continue to do it and keep doing it, that's that's their responsibility. That's on them. That's not on you. Everybody has the right to say yes, and everybody has the right to say no. Perfect. Well, I won't keep you much longer, but I want to throw out some scenarios. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> Tell me how to handle them. And I want to admit that they're all things that have happened with me. <laughs> Ooh, I can't promise you. Okay. okay. Well, go ahead. How do you train a caregiver when your person won't eat? Eating is a big thing. Um, uh, eating and toileting and hygiene. Um, 
So eating, it's very hard um, because you can't force somebody to eat because I think people need to understand that there's something in our brains that you tell me to do something, whether I am cognitively impaired or not, my first instinct is, no, you're not going to tell me what to do because I'm grown. That, so that's what we need to recognize. That doesn't necessarily go away. That, that is somehow in our brain. But it's learning that eating a lot of times is social. We've learned that, you know, when we grew up, we usually ate with our families. We usually ate around. And so it's eating at the same time. It's, oh my goodness, I just got this new thing to try. You know, why don't you try it too? I'd love to see what you think about it. I'd like to get your opinion about this food. Could you taste it for me? And it's it, you're going to have to think outside of the box, outside of here, I'm putting a plate in front of you. You know, eat it. It's, it is modeling. It's being there with them. It's social. It's finding, okay, what connects this person maybe to this food? For instance, even with drinking, I had a caregiver yesterday and, and his spouse spouse, they showed me that she had only drunk um, half of a bottle of water in the past almost day. And so what I did, and uh, just the spirit, I guess, I had a mug of tea on my desk. And so, and we're virtual. And so she's sitting there and I said, hey, you know what? Why don't we take a drink together? I know I'd feel better if we took a drink together. So I drink a little bit and she starts drinking. And so then we stop and I'm like, oh, you know what? I said, I think we should take a little bit more. She takes a little bit more. She has a little bit left. I said, you know, what? why don't we just go ahead and top this off? And she finishes the water. And what I was trying to model to him was it was all about joining in with me, not me forcing. So when it comes to eating, it's similar like that. Or if people are grazing, it's making sure that they have the things that you need. And it may not be, okay, they're going to sit here and have this whole meal right at that moment. It may be, okay, here's some bites. And then later on, because remember, sometimes also with dementia, memory sometimes works against us. Sometimes memory works for us in terms of, hey, they're going to forget that they sat down a few minutes ago and that we offered them something to eat. Let's try it again a little bit later. You are so right about you that. Like that. You're so right about that because the water thing, I didn't even mention that, but my mother is like that too. And unfortunately that translates into her, her health because it's hard yeah. for them to get blood for her yes. because she's not hydrated and she won't drink water. So I must admit, I'm not a big water drinker, but I need to now try to join in with her and maybe me drinking some water will help her to drink some water. It might. I keep telling you it's profound that you say it's not you, but it is. <laughs> okay, um, won't eat, won't drink, won't bathe. <clears throat> I have to tell you, this one is really hard really hard because bathing is, um, yeah, it's hard. So one, I think for caregivers, it's understanding that they don't have to bathe every day. 
really, that that's, it's really not necessary a lot of times, unless they've been soiling themselves. It's really not, you don't have to get somebody in the shower every day. You do want to clean under their nails because that's where the issues come in is because people are touching everything and putting your hands in your mouth. So, so there's that, but so that's one thing it's expectations in terms of caregivers, thinking about that. What I, different things, one, I've talked to people about setting it up like a spa, setting up the, the bathroom, already having the water running or something like that, because then you got to think about the challenge that people have in terms of bathing, in terms of the steps it takes to bathe. And so it's, thinking about, okay, what makes this a comfortable, warm environment? What makes it welcoming to come in here? So sometimes it's changing the environment, this making, you know, having scented candles, having the lights maybe not so bright, you know, things like that. Other things in terms of bathing is that um, having a schedule, you know, depending on where you are in the dementia um trajectory, it's in the progression, it's having a schedule that, okay, here's the days that we bathe. Uh Uh-oh, okay, bath day. If it's someone who can still kind of recognize calendar or no, okay, it's Tuesday, it's bath day, let's get, you know, let's get ready. It's having that kind of schedule, the routine of it. Um, Sometimes it's having somebody else help bathe them. Because there becomes a power struggle sometimes with the care, with having a higher caregiver come and do it. And I know that that's not everybody can do that. But sometimes the power struggle between the family members is what the issue is. Listeners can't see me, but I'm (laughs) laughing because this is my story to a T. It's a struggle. It's a power struggle. It's an occasion where I get, I'm the mother, you know, and they don't want to listen to me. But what I did know that I was doing that you suggested, which is good, is I have to prepare her. Yes. In other words, I get the tub full. Yes. The temperature right. Yes. And it's like a sneak attack. Yes. I have to sort of get her on the side of the tub and have a conversation. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then slowly, boom, she's in the tub and before yes. she knows it. So that's what I have. Yeah. To, that's excellent advice. Sort of yeah. a, a sneak attack on my part, but preparation is the official training. Exactly. <laughs> it's all about how we frame it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So we talked about won't eat, won't drink, won't bathe. When they start wandering. Oh, okay. So that's one of my biggest things. Wandering, wandering scares me and safety. Safety is my main thing. When it comes to being in a home, I am all about, okay, is this person safe? And so let's talk about it. So wandering, first off, um, it's understanding your, your perimeter, your doors, Do you have your doors locked? Are they on an alarm system? Do you have an alarm system that chimes if it opens? If you, and you don't even have to have that. You can, I tell people, put bells, Christmas bells on your door so that you can hear that door open. 
you hear that door open, put the bells on their door, on the inside door of their room. So that if they're in their room and you're sleeping, that you hear that first. And it's not just the outside door that you're hearing. You're catching them before if they're wandering at night, because I have people who wander, you know, they get up in the middle of the night and go. The other thing is, is there are locks. There are some locks that you can get that you put up. You either put them above uh, above the door, at the top of the door, or you put them at the bottom. Because a lot of times people with dementia do not look up or down. They just look straight forward and they're trying to open the door. And so they don't see the lock and it's only a lock for the outside door. It's not a lock for the inside door. Um, but for the outside door, it is making sure that they, you know, do the Alzheimer's Association safe return medic alert to where if they do happen to get out, then you have this way of calling and people getting boots on the ground quickly. Also, I tell people put trackers on people. So there are location apps that you can put on someone. Um, like Angel Sense, it can clip on persons, um, their actual clothing, GPS, anything that has a GPS to where you can find them, doing something like that. So there are different things when it comes to wandering. Um, but being mindful that people do it. I have people who say when I'm talking to them, they're like, oh, no, they never wander. I said, you don't know that they wander until they do it. So you always have to be safe when it comes to the house and someone who is progressing an illness. Perfect. Last thing I want to ask you, if they're mean or violent, what do you do? If they're mean or violent? Okay. So it's learning one, how to stay out of arm's length. You do not stand in front of a person who is violent. You stand at a distance. If you know, it's also when I talk about triggers, uh, being a detective it is recognizing that sometimes we are escalating the problem because we are either trying to go back and forth, not all the time, but it's recognizing you need to see the triggers. So before it gets escalated, I do have people who just they can go off. I do have to tell people to call 911 sometimes. I hate to tell them to do it, but they do. And to protect themselves because the caregiver needs to be protected. So making sure that you're calling 911 and that you're explaining to them that the person has dementia. You have to explain that. And then I'm going to say this, and it's not very popular a lot of times, is sometimes being at home is not the place for someone Sometimes they need to be in a facility where there are more people caring for them, where they have um, that type of security and they're able to be monitored. Sometimes the caregiver, the best way to care for someone may not be you doing the physical care for them. That was perfect because that was my next and one of my last questions, residential placement. Yeah. How do you handle that? So people need to understand about placement. One, um, there are personal care homes. There are assisted living facilities with memory care units. Those are private pay. And it's all about looking for them. And somebody has to be ambulatory, has to be um, just be able to transfer up and down in order to be in an assisted living in a memory care unit. It's not until further on later on in the diagnosis that we probably would suggest skilled nursing facility 
you know, because really that is, I, I think, the most restrictive, the most, um, what's the word? Uh, oh, I can't think of it, where it's, it's not homey, it's not cozy, you know, and so, but, and that requires a doctor to sign saying that this person needs, is able to be as eligible to be in a skilled nursing facility that can be paid private pay or Medicaid nursing home, not Medicare, Medicaid in terms of long-term care. Um, but there are agencies, placement agencies that help in terms of finding those memory care units, those personal care homes um, that are free. You can ask them. Um, uh, they do it as a free service. Okay, well, that's perfect. Ms. Cooper, Alice. <laughs> it's been terrific. I've learned a lot and I see what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. And I hope our listeners who are caregivers have learned something from this. And all of these trainings should apply, whether you're in a home, yes, assisted living, nursing home, or even adult daycare. So yes. all of that um, is beneficial and helpful. And this has been a great learning experience for me. Can I, can I say one last thing? I want to tell all caregivers, the one thing that you need to do in all of this is have grace and compassion, grace and compassion for the other person, the person you're caring for, but also grace and compassion for yourself because you've never been on this journey before. And so you're going to make mistakes. And so, but you just keep up and keep on going and offering that grace and compassion to yourself. That's a perfect way to end it. Grace and compassion. Thank you for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our conversations with licensed clinical social worker, Alice Cooper. Some valuable information. We love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, MPMK at MPMK Podcast, and on Facebook and Instagram. My parents are now my kids. See you next time.